Welcome back to the Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide podcast. It's been a little while since we accompanied one of our IPG publications with a podcast, but as with many post-COVID operations, we are getting back into the old routine. This edition will be focusing on the recent United States Supreme Court decision in Coniglia v. Strom, which limited the scope of the community caretaking rationale insofar as it could be used to justify entry into a home. Also discussed is a decision from the California Supreme Court Court called People v. Oviedo that actually foreshadowed the decision in Coniglia. Now, in an attempt to figure out how the decisions in Coniglia and Oviedo will impact existing case law regarding use of the community caretaking rationale to justify searches and seizures out of the home, how these decisions will affect entries into the home to deal with, like, suicidal persons, reports of gunshots, or seizures of firearms belonging to persons with mental health issues, we invited one of the state's leading experts on search and seizure law and longtime author of Point of View and California Criminal Investigation, Alameda County Senior Deputy District Attorney Mark Hutchins, to join us. This podcast will provide 60 minutes of general MCLE self-study credit. Thanks for making the trip down south, Mark. You're welcome. So a couple weeks ago, the United States Supreme Court issued a relatively short opinion on the use of the community caretaking rationale to justify entries into the home. That case is called Coniglia versus Strom. But before we get to discussing that case, perhaps you could give us a little background about the development of the community caretaking rationale as a justification for uh, a warrantless search uh, in, in, in the first place. Well, it, it all has to do with a, an exigent circumstance, but the community caretaking exception, if there was one, is pertains to little things that people call the police for, not to report crimes or, or things of that sort, but uh, loud music, uh, open door, barking dog, all kinds of reasons that people call the police these days. I have a couple of quotes here that the services that they now provide or provide are an infinite variety of services that are totally divorced from the detection, investigation, or acquisition of evidence relating to the violation of a criminal statute. And then in, in Ray, you were talking about that case. They, uh, they had an interesting point that I, I think is, is, is helpful. So Ray is a, uh, a, an older California Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Back right. in the, the late 90s, I believe. Yeah, probably. Anyway, the, the Ray court said, people nowadays do not know the names of their next door neighbors, and so tasks that neighbors, friends, or relatives may have performed in the past now fall to the police. Sorry, we can't help you. We need a warrant and can't get one. And that's that's happening, I mean, and it'll continue to happen no matter what the courts do, because when people need help and they can't do it themselves, who are they going to call? <laughs> they still call the police a lot, mm-hmm. or the fire department, but, but usually it's the police. So that's, what, that's, that's why the... Uh, community caretaking exception came about, and it, and it sure makes a lot of sense. Um, the problem is that in the, in the past, 
the courts were having difficulty determining what was a true exigent circumstance and what's a community caretaking exception. And um, when they found cases like, well, where, the, where there was no real emergency, the courts were bending over backwards to try to affirm it because the officer was acting in good faith. He actually <laughs> thought there was an emergency, but yet the court didn't think it was that severe that would warrant an entry into a home. So what the courts did, they started employing the harmless error rule, inevitable discovery, and they would they would add things to the, the, the facts to make it sound a little more exigent, and which is not a good way for the legal profession to operate. Okay. Uh, I think everybody saw through this, and so there it's there it stayed for what a couple of years, maybe five, six, seven years. It was just kind of in a gray area. Um, I think it wanted to, the, the beginning of the of the community caretaking exception is a case. I think you referred to it, Caddy versus Dombrowski. Yes, that's a U.S. Supreme Court decision. That that's the first case that the community caretaking caretaking exception was was noted in a, in, a, in a U.S. Supreme Court case. And as a result, it, it was picked up by the lower courts to the point where it's basically, you see lots of cases these days, you just say, well, of course there's a community caretaking exception. It's just a well-established exception to the Fourth Amendment. And, and really it's not, but the courts, they, they do that. Right. Well, didn't, I mean, back in, uh, K- K- Katie versus Dombrowski is a case from 1973. Uh, it, it dealt with sort of application of the community caretaking rationale in the context of a search for a vehicle. And it's been, it's been around for a long time. So uh, <clears throat> I think it was a legitimate inference that you could uh, rely on the, on the community caretaking rationale, at least when it came to uh, searches of vehicles, right? Well, the irony of Caddy is that they really didn't need to go the, the community caretaking route. Maybe you should go into the facts first. Yeah, why don't you? Because uh, that'll, that'll be helpful. This is, it's a real simple factual case. It's a, a Chicago cop uh, went out and got drunk. And uh, I don't remember if he was in an accident or not. But anyway, he was stopped and uh, he was taken to the jail. So the, the cops at the scene of the uh, the arrest didn't know what to do with, with Caddy's car. And so they decided they would search it for ostensibly to determine if there's any weapons or whatnot in there. Uh, they didn't find a weapon, but they found a lot of bloody clothes in the trunk. And this led to Caddy's uh, arrest and, and was charged with a homicide that had recently occurred. So that's that's a case that came up to the to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court, and what the court said about community caretaking, and this is the this is the part of it that gets quoted most in the cases, is that quote, uh, local police officers frequently investigate vehicle accidents in which there is no claim of criminal liability, and engage in what, for want of a better term, may be described as community caretaking functions, totally divorced from the detection investigation or acquisition of evidence relating to the violation of a criminal statute. So in, in, in Katie, then, they they couldn't justify the search or they didn't justify the search on grounds that uh, they could do it as a search incident to arrest or, or, or under the vehicle exception. They came up with a, a new rationale. Yeah, and I don't really understand why they, why they decided to go that route, but they did, and, and the result is that there's a lot of uncertainty in the law. 
Okay. Which frequently follows U.S. Supreme Court opinions. <laughs> All right. So th- that's uh, a case involving the community caretaking rationale in the context of vehicles. Uh, the case that we mentioned earlier, uh, the Ray case, uh, was a California Supreme Court decision. And uh, that decision, I, as I understand it, expanded the rationale of community caretaking in the context of an entry into a home, correct? Yeah, it's a it's a case out of Richmond. Um, somebody reported an open door at a house. The police arrived. Uh, the, the reporting person said that... Uh, the door has been open all day, and she, and quoting here, it's all a shambles inside. It's unknown if anyone's home, but the um, reporting party doesn't think so. So the officer says it's all a shambles inside, and it's an open door, and it's been like that for a while. So what are they going to do? <laughs> so you, they enter. They enter. And um, I can't remember exactly what they found. Oh, they found cocaine. And as a result, Ray was, was charged. So the, the court said in their, in their holding, said it appeared that someone might have been inside a burglary attempt or in, the pro, or in progress or the welfare of people inside. So they justified it on the basis of a possible burglary um, and the welfare of people inside. And so was that the, the, was this opinion in Ray? Yeah. Uh, my understanding is it's a, it's actually kind of two opinions. There's your lead opinion with mm-hmm. three justices, and then you have a concurring opinion. Right. So the the, the lead opinion is held what? Well, uh, there is there is a community caretaking exception, and under these circumstances, uh, it was appropriate for the officer to think that an, an immediate warrantless entry was required. So. There you have now. Now with Ray, the community caretaking exception goes is, is all over the place. Everybody's everybody's citing it, and the cases are all over the place. And that's why it's so good that the U.S. Supreme Court case took this. Supreme Court took this up, um, and because it, it kind of uh, it settles things down a bit. So the, it, in in Ray, there was also a concurring opinion. Right. Did the concurring opinion also? Uh, adopt or, or expand the community caretaking rationale to entries into homes? Uh, no, no. The, the, the plurality opinion in Ray, kind of ironically, is exactly what the U.S. Supreme Court held in Coniglia. They said, the, the quote that I like from, uh, from Ray is, the appropriate standard under the community caretaking exception is one of reasonableness. Given the known facts, would a prudent and reasonable officer have perceived the need to act in the proper discharge of his or her functions? Which is essentially what the law, law is now as a result of Coniglia. They, they, it, it, without jumping ahead to Coniglia, um, that's really just sort of the emergency except or emergency branch of the exigent circumstances. That's a distinct uh, analysis from community caretaking, although there certainly seems to be a lot of overlap. Correct. All right. So you, you, we had the opinion in Ray, and lead, the lead opinion, as well as the uh, concurring opinion in Ray. Uh, that was out there. And then before we got to the, the, the most recent United States Supreme Court decision, back in 2019, there was a California Supreme Court decision called People versus Oviedo. And uh, why don't you tell us what happened in the Oviedo case? Well, this is out of Santa Barbara, where the police were called to a house, reported a man who was suicidal, and the people reported that he had guns in the house. So when they, they got there, they detained him, and they 
decided to conduct a protective search of the house. Uh, and in the course of the search, they found uh, marijuana, uh, guns, and a submachine gun, and other evidence of trafficking. Anyway, the court ruled that there, there were no exigent circumstances. Uh, then they, they, they addressed the community caretaking exception, and they found it didn't apply. And the reason essentially was that the officers did not provide the court with a very good or a good enough reason to believe that there was an immediate, that an immediate entry into the house was necessary. Uh, the, the man had already been detained. He was not a threat to anybody. There was nobody in the house that they knew of, so there's really nobody inside to protect. Uh, they knew, by the way, that, that, that there was nobody else there. So um, I, I think the California Supreme Court was correct. The, the, this could not be held uh, under the uh, community caretaking because it would just blow it wide open that anything would apply. So did they, uh, they held that the community caretaking rationale in, in the decision in Oviedo, they, they held that you couldn't justify the entry in the, under the community caretaking rationale in Oviedo. Did they say anything about the validity of using the community caretaking rationale to justify an entry into a home? Well, they, they, they mentioned the exigent circumstances exception that, that they referred to speculation about the, the, that there's no place for speculation in applying exigent circumstances, which is, in fact, here was, here's another quote. The officers here surmised that there may have been others in the house who required aid or posed a threat if allowed to, if allowed access or unsecured firearms. Those could be exigent circumstances justifying warrantless entry. But the objective, objective facts that elevate speculation to reasonable suspicion were not present or were not articulated in the suppression hearing. So is it fair to say that in Oviedo, they said, you know, theoretically, you can apply the exigent circumstances exception to entry into a home if, for example, the, the person who was suicidal was still in the home and might have access to firearms. But in this circumstance, because the person was outside and there was no evidence that someone else could access uh, a firearm and uh, there wasn't any evidence that there was a firearm in there, that uh, you couldn't justify it under the exigent circumstances uh, rationale. Did they also talk about separately the community caretaking rationale as it might be used to justify an entry into a home as opposed to how it was used in Katy where it just justified an entry into a vehicle? Well, they, they distinguish between searches of homes and all other types of searches. The searches of homes are, of course, the, uh, the most homes are most private places that people have and are, are most highly protected by the Fourth Amendment. So I, I, I think the, the court, I, as I recall, they, they just, just said there is no community caretaking exception. Uh, Carol Corrigan from our office was the, wrote mm -hmm. the opinion, and I, I like her a lot. And I think she, she, she got it right here, even though it's a case of it that was ultimately against us, um, that there just, there just was no exigency. And it, it, the, the, what was the need for community caretaking? It was, I, think, I think what happened here is the district attorney just kind of, well, there's community caretaking, so this will fall under the community caretaking exception because 
they were interested in doing a protective search of the house. But saying we're going to do a protective search requires proof that there's a need for it. And here there was none. So the, there was a couple different theories in play in Oviedo, right? You had the you had to protect. They, they tried to necessarily justify it under a protective sweep, but a protective sweep wouldn't apply in this circumstance uh, to justify the entry because, they, first of all, they weren't going in to make an arrest of anyone, mm. and they didn't even have a reason to enter the home le- le- legitimately. So you couldn't use that. You couldn't use the exigent circumstances because there wasn't sufficient evidence to believe that someone's life was was in danger or that it was or that there had been a crime in which they had probable cause to believe there might be evidence that would be destroyed. And you couldn't use the community caretaking rationale because they said, hey, that, that particular rationale doesn't even apply when it comes to homes. Is that a, a fair assessment? Yes, very much so. All right, so l- let me ask this. The Oviedo Court did appear to accept the idea, which was endorsed. They said, hey, this is an idea that's endorsed by several lower federal courts, that a warrantless entry in response to an actively suicidal person may be justified to prevent injury. Uh, is, 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 that, is that somehow inconsistent with them finding that there wasn't a, an appropriate entry in this case? No, it's actually quite consistent. They, uh, there would be exigent circumstances if a person was inside a home and the officers had reason to believe that it was suicidal and... and possibly had a gun, or it would be better if he actually had a gun and they were aware of it, <laughs> which happens a lot. Um, those, those circumstances would qualify as an exigent circumstance, even though there's no, the, 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 the threat is not immediate. They don't really have any uh, objective facts showing that he's, he's about to commit suicide. But then uh, <laughs> if they decide, well, I'm not going to do anything because I don't have a warrant and I don't have exigent circumstances, so I'm going to leave, and then the guy commits suicide, what's the press going to do with it the next day? They're going to say, what in the world do we pay these people for if they just mm-hmm. walk away from a guy in a house who's threatening mm-hmm. to commit suicide? So that's essentially what what the situation was here. And they and they, they said in Oviedo that, like I said, they that would be speculation only as to whether there was a threat to this guy. Okay, so, Mark, there was an earlier California Supreme Court case called People versus Roberts from 1956 where the California Supreme Court had upheld an entry where there was a car that they potentially believed had been involved in a commercial burglary, and it had been registered to a woman living in a San Francisco apartment. The apartment manager told officers who were investigating that the defendant also lived in that uh, same apartment and that he had not worked and was, was often sickly. And so when the officers went to the, to the door, they knocked on it, and they didn't get any response. But they did hear several moans or, or groans that sounded as if a person who was in that apartment was in distress. And then the manager, at the police request, let him in. And the court ultimately upheld the entry. Uh, would this type of entry no longer be allowed if you apply the rationale of Oviedo? No, it would apply. It would apply under the exigent circumstances exception. Again, exigent, exigent circumstances handles these, these situations very well. And uh, there really is no need under these circumstances, in this case, for, for community caretaking. You've got the, the fact that he was groaning inside, of course, is a mm-hmm. big, big fact. 
the fact that there's somebody in there who's suicidal with no additional information, that's questionable whether that would that would fly as an exigent circumstance. But I, I, it, it, it should, should be pointed out, the officers are going to do what they think they have to do, morally do. And if you think that if there's somebody inside and you have good reason to believe it's suicidal, and if the officer may feel that he has to go in, the evidence probably would get suppressed, but the officer will sleep better at night. So I, I know that it, it sounds like Oviedo implicitly approved Roberts. Uh, they did mention it in that decision. And they also mentioned another case called People versus Hill. Uh, and this, again, this is a, a case, an earlier U.S. Uh, California Supreme Court decision that was mentioned in the 2019 California Supreme Court decision of Oviedo. And it's a case called People versus Hill, where uh, a couple of guys arrive at a house to buy drugs. And they go inside and they're accosted by, by some people who are inside the house who, who um, assault them. One of the two men who entered was shot and was, was taken by another witness to a hospital where he ended up dying and the, the assailants uh, fled. Meanwhile, officers are dispatched to the scene. And all they know when they arrive is that a shooting had very recently occurred and that one person who had been suffering from the, from the wounds had been brought to a hospital. But when they arrived, they found fresh blood stains on the fence and porch of, of this home where the assault took place and an automobile parked outside. So they, they looked through a porch window and it appeared that there were blood stains on the floor inside the house. There was no response when the officers knocked and, and announced. And uh, they ultimately entered the pre- premises under the, the theory that, hey, there was only, that was the only way of, of determining for sure whether there was anyone inside in need of, of help. And in Hill, the California Supreme Court upheld the entry. They rejected the idea that the entry could be justified under the hot pursuit doctrine, but they upheld the search and the collection of evidence found in, in plain view. The officers found some evidence once they got inside because they said it was reasonable for the officers to believe the shooting may have resulted in other casualties in addition to that reported to the police and an immediate entry was necessary to render aid to anyone in distress. Uh, it's mentioned in Oviedo. You just still think that it's would, would be good, good, good law. Oh, I do. Um, the facts are, are very, very strong. You've, you've, you've got objective evidence that uh, a shooting occurred and somebody was uh, shot or killed inside the house, got blood. You've got, you've got exigent circumstances, and uh, I don't know, it seems like a relatively easy case. Okay. So uh, getting back to Oviedo. Uh, in light of that decision, if someone is going to be taken into custody for evaluation under 5150, uh, does OVA to stand for the proposition that uh, there cannot be a, a warrantless seizure of firearms? Are, are, are you saying that the officers can't seize firearms that are inside the home of an individual who is being taken away for a mental health evaluation? This is a recurring issue. Um, officers have sometimes uh, felt necessary that to, to enter a house and search for guns just because they believe there, there are guns inside and the person uh, is a little bit shaky or maybe even suicidal. Um, the fact that there's guns inside is not an exigent circumstance. 
there has to be some additional information that somebody would be threatened by the gun. And of course, in this case, there was none. So no, that's that's a it's a case that w- is all on all fours so, with the current law. So so what are the, what are the officers supposed to do? I mean, are are you saying that? Um, I mean, it's it's certainly okay, right, for someone who is a danger to themselves or or others due to a mental disorder for officers to seize the person and take them into custody for a mental health evaluation, right? That that's longstanding law in California, and then that's not been impacted right. by by Oviedo. Uh, it's, do we now, if if that's the situation, and someone's been either removed from the home or maybe it's not even in the home, if they want to seize firearms, they've they've got to get a warrant, at least according to Oviedo. All right. Well, I'd like to explore that a little bit further, but um, let's now finally get to the the, the case that sort of prompted this. Inquisitive Prosecutor's Guide podcast, and that's Coniglia, which just issued a couple of weeks ago from the United States Supreme Court. Uh, well, it's a short decision, but what, what were the facts leading to that decision, Mark? Uh, this this is very much like the uh, the uh, the first case we talked about. Uh, we have a suicidal person whose uh, whose relatives call the police and say they need help. The police arrived and they found the defendant, who's the suicidal person, on the porch. And they talk to him, and he, he agrees to what is essentially a 5150 hold. So he's, he's off. Uh, the officers then enter the house and seize the guns, because they, they thought that he had guns, and because he's a 5150, that that's a dangerous situation. Um, the, ca- I don't, the case was never charged, as far as I know, but uh, Coniglia, who was the defendant, uh, filed suit against the officers. And the First Circuit, which which heard the case, applied Caddy versus Dombrowski, said, you know, the old community caretaking case. Okay. And they were they were well, I was gonna say they're correct in doing it. I I I don't think in this case, even under under Caddy this thing applies. You've got somebody on the porch, there's no evidence there's anybody inside. Uh, there's just really nothing there. And, and in any event, the, the First Circuit nevertheless said it was okay. And, but this is, goes back to what I said at the very start, how courts sometimes have had to rely on, on harmless error or, or things of that sort to, to get around this ruling, which is essentially what the court did. Yeah, it, the First it, Circuit did. It, interestingly, the, in the First Circuit opinion, one of the cases that they relied on was the lead opinion in the Ray case. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so what did the U.S. Supreme Court hold when it came to uh, the case of Coniglia? Well, they just flat out said there is no community caretaking exception, flat out. Well, I, I'll, 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 there is one exception, I guess. It's, that has to do with vehicle inventory searches. Uh, those, those searches, although they can sometimes be justified for a probable cause or, or some other, other exception to the warrant requirement. But most of these searches of vehicles in the context of, of an of a inventory search are analyzed as a c- community caretaking uh, issue. And I don't think that there's anything in Coniglia that undermines that. In fact, as I recall, I can't be sure, but I think they even mentioned something along those lines that 
Um, yeah, well, they specifically say we're they're not dealing with the question of the community caretaking rationale outside the context of entries into the home. I mean, that that was not uh, raised. So um, they ultimately find that the community caretaking rationale should not be used for purposes, or at least when there is an entry into the home, correct? Yep. So did the high court address whether the circumstances presented would have permitted entry under a different exception, like consent or the exigent circumstances exception, or whether or whether it could be justified if there was a state law that permitted this type of uh, mental health intervention? Um, I, I, I don't recall exactly. They, the, as far as the mental health goes, I, you know, California has a statute um, that deals with that, but it only applies when a person has been detained or otherwise seized by officers. Um, of course, that would apply here. It was a 50, and went on a hold. So uh, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> okay, so um, do you think that either notwithstanding the, the, the holding in Coniglia and notwithstanding the holding in Oviedo, a warrant is required to enter a home. Do you think that a warrant would be required when there's a need to assist persons who are seriously injured or threatened with such injury? Well, that's, that's a classic accusant circumstance. Do you think it would permit entries when someone's threatening to, to harm themselves, like commit suicide? Sure, under, under certain circumstances, but again... The officers would have to, to make their case and, and say why we think we not only know this guy is suicidal, but we think that there's an imminent threat to him. And here are the reasons why. And that's what they need to do. Do you think uh, the holding of Coniglia calls into question state laws that allow for short-term seizures conducted for the purpose of ascertaining whether a person presents an imminent risk of suicide? I think to the extent that it, it that it would it would never be under those circumstances it would never be permitted to enter a home. Uh, there might be various things you can do without entering. I mean, you can you can walk around the house, look to see if you can see anything that's that would give you a reason to believe that there is an immediate threat. Bloody clothes would okay. be an example. Well, I, I guess what I'm talking about is there's lots of state laws, like in California that allow for the seizure of a person if they believe that there's going to be a, a the, the person represents a danger to themselves or others. You can take him in under 5150. Is Nothing in Oviedo calls into question those state laws, correct? Right. Yeah. But, but keep in mind that the state law only authorizes a seizure. It does not authorize a search. So you can seize the person. Then the question is, what if the person is inside the yes, house? Yes, that's what I was going to get to. <laughs> yeah, if, do, do you think that would permit someone, the, the, the police, to enter uh, into a home? Although, obviously, if someone is presenting a danger to themselves and you have enough evidence of that, the fact that they were in the home would would likely be justified under the entrance circumstances exactly. exception. Uh, what about, you know, these red flag laws? Like in California now, under Penal Code Section uh, 181.25 at, at SEC, uh, there are laws that enable police to temporarily seize guns pursuant to a court order to prevent their use for suicide or for the infliction of harm or innocent persons. Uh, Coniglia didn't call into question those laws either, right? They didn't address that, correct? No. You know, in, in one of the concurring opinions in Coniglia, uh, Justice Kavanaugh opined that warrantless entries are permitted 
when police officers have an objectively reasonable basis to believe that there's a current ongoing crisis for which it is reasonable to act now. And Justice Kavanaugh said the officers, they don't need to show that the harm had already occurred or is mere moments away, because knowing that will often be difficult, if not impossible, in cases, for example, where a person is currently suicidal or an elderly person has been out of contact and, and may have fallen. Justice Kavanaugh believes that, look, if, if there's evidence that someone is at risk of serious harm and it's reasonable for officers to intervene immediately, that would be enough for officers to enter a home. Do you think that that interpretation, again, this is just a concurring opinion from Kavanaugh, that it, that interpretation is inconsistent in any way with the California Supreme Court decision in Oviedo? In Oviedo, well, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I think that, you know, Kavanaugh, what, what he said, he was very prescient about this, that because this is, this is essentially what the court would hold years later in, in Coniglia. Uh, Kavanaugh said, we agree with the lead opinion that the officer's warrantless entry into the residence was proper, but... I reached that conclusion by applying the exigent circumstances exception to the warrant requirement, which is exactly what the court in Coniglia said you're supposed to do. You mean the court so in, good for him. in, in, in uh, Oviedo? Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Okay. So um, he gave a couple of examples in his concurring opinion, Kavanaugh, uh, where he thought, oh, these are common situations where he wanted to provide some guidance to, to officers and said a warrantless entry would be permissible in either of these two circumstances. The first was where a woman calls a hotline or 911 and says she's contemplating suicide, that she has firearms in the home, and she might well die. When the police go to the home and they knock, they don't receive a response. That's the first situation. And the second is where you have like an elderly man who is uncharacteristically absent from Sunday church services and repeatedly fails to answer the phone throughout the day and night. And the police get a call from a concerned relative, and they ask the officers to perform a well, a, a sort of a well, welfare check or a wellness check. And the officers drive to the home, they knock, and they receive no response. In both those circumstances, Judge, Justice Kavanaugh said, hey, those are clear. Police could enter in those uh, situations. Although Kavanaugh's opinion is just a concurring opinion, would you agree that that represents uh, a legitimate entry in those circumstances? The first case is, is probably correct. It's probably all right. But again, this is an attempted suicide case or somebody is contemplating suicide who has firearms in the house. And then she tells the 911 operator that she, she might as well die. Um, that's, of course, not as good as the, the other ones that you have when you've got bloody clothes or groaning in the house, this type of thing. Um, but I would say this, that in the, in the first case, an officer probably would go in and do it, check it out, rather than just, just say, no, there's nothing we can do about this. The second case, I think, is uh, obviously an exigent circumstance. Because you've got an elderly man who has a regular routine and he doesn't follow it. I think the fact that he's elderly is, is kind of the big, the big thing here, because people who get older, they get into a routine, and any break from that routine is, is something... To, Take, take account of, and the courts did. So, uh, so anyway, that's why I think those okay. two cases would, would come out okay. Do, do you think the holding in Coniglia, 
is consistent with the current interpretation of how the community caretaking exception in California, as it is described in Oviedo, would would work. Well, I have to go back and say that there is no community caretaking exception. Period. There's it's just not there, except except as a as I said before, under 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 seizing uh, searching cars incident to arrest or as a uh, needing to tow the car or pound it or whatever. Um, okay, we might have a little bit of a disagreement here on that. I, okay. I, I think it's. Uh, but I, it, it, how how would you how would you apply it then? Uh, what would be the standard of, of community caretaking okay. under your? Well, uh, let's go, let's continue going through. There's a few things I'd like to talk about uh, before we start discussing the the notion of how the community caretaking rationale can still apply. I think generally, yes, it's going. It, it's was uh, originated in the context of like what would be an inventory search and an impound an inventory search. But uh, I think there are certain circumstances where it could apply where someone is entering a car and doing a search that would not be justified by any other exception. It's not an inventory. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, Or like some, like a seizure of an individual, for, for example, um, I think the community caretaking rationale would would justify um, p- perhaps a seizure of an individual, even though uh, it's not you cannot be used to enter a home. But I'd like to discuss a few other issues regarding the community caretaking exception in light of the holdings in uh, Caniglia and Oviedo. So, you know, Oviedo overruled the lead opinion in Ray, which relied on the community caretaking rationale to authorized entry into a home that had a door open for a long time and appeared to be ransacked. But it didn't overrule the concurring opinion, which would have justified the entry under the emergency exception because officers had reasonable cause to believe that a burglary was in progress or, and I'm quoting here, or that a burglary had been committed and there might be persons inside the residence in need of assistance. Now, I think it's pretty clear that if officers believe that there's a burglary in progress, entry can be justified. So, for example, like Oviedo, they favorably cited to an earlier decision called People versus Duncan, where officers got a call that a burglary was in progress or had just occurred. When they arrive at at the scene of the burglary, they speak to a neighbor who apparently tells the officer that they, they had seen two teenagers fleeing with a television set. The doors to the home were locked, but the officers noticed an open window, and outside the open window was a television, and there were other articles beneath it, like, piled outside outside the window. Because of that property, the officers thought, well, there may still be a burglar inside, and entry was upheld. In Oviedo, they said, hey, there's no no problem with Duncan. that, That appears to be good law. But what if there's just simple evidence of an unlawful entry and no response to a knock? So in other words, they don't really have evidence that the burglary is in progress. They do have, you know, considerable evidence that the burglary had occurred. Do you think entry would be permissible uh, under those circumstances? Well, in Duncan, I don't think the officers had any reason to believe that the burglars had fled. Uh, all the all the people told them was that they had seen two teenagers uh, apparently made off with a TV set. Um, so the officers, under those circumstances, would could not be sure that there 
the burglar was still not there or, or his accomplice was there. Um, so you've got basically, I think the court would look at it as a burglary in progress. From the officer's point of view, it was a burglary in progress. And therefore, under the exigent circumstances exception, it would fly. So what about the, if they had just evidence that a burglary had occurred? Like in Ray, they had, didn't necessarily have evidence that someone would be inside the house. But the concurring opinion, which wasn't overruled by Oviedo, in the concurring opinion, they said if entry would be justified if there was a burglary in progress, or they believed that a burglary had had just occurred. Uh, do you think that just ha a, the, the belief that a burglary had just occurred would be enough, or do you think that there has to be some evidence that there, the burglar might be inside? The latter. I think that the fact that there's a, a burglary in and of itself would, wouldn't, wouldn't win the, the, the decision. Um, you would need more, and, and, it's, and usually it's not too hard to find more if you, if you look. You could talk to the, to the neighbors and, and, and look around the house yourself and just look for anything that, that supports the idea that the, this burglary is, is in progress. But what about the idea that, hey, if, if a burglary had just occurred, isn't it reasonable to believe that if there had been someone who was inside the home when the burglary occurred, that they might be injured? And if you knock on the door and there's no response, uh, that, that someone might, you know, might, might be, in need of a, be in need of assistance. Yeah, now you're getting into a, a, a real gray area where I think, again, most, most officers would say that's, that's an extra circumstance, in my opinion, and I'm going to go in and, and make sure. Whether the courts would agree with that or not, I don't know. Okay. Now, let's say uh, officers got a report, and I'm pulling these facts from a, from a recent case. Um, do you think it would be enough if officers get a report of an unoccupied running car that had been in the driveway of a residence for about, let's say, 30 minutes? The lights are on. Uh, if the police come to the scene and they see the car, they determine that it's owned by a rental company, and they check on the... With, at the doors, they ring the doorbell, they knock, there's no response. Do you think if they were uh, able to enter through like a second door that they thought led to the residence, do you think they could enter under the theory that someone may be hurt or the car was, was left running outside to facilitate an escape after a burglary? Yeah, there's a California case, uh, People versus Smith, uh, that held under these circumstances it would be, quote, objectively unreasonable to enter the premises because an unattended car running in the driveway did not constitute exigent circumstances or suggest a medical emergency. Well, Mark, what about the good faith exception? Could, could a good faith exception save a search of a home? under the now-defunct community caretaking rationale of the lead opinion in Ray, if the search took place before Oviedo and Coniglia? Uh, not according to the court in Smith. Uh, Instead, the court rejected the argument because it said, and again quoting, the pertinent analysis of deterrence and culpability is objective, not an inquiry into the subjective awareness of the arresting officers. And two... The principle articulated in Davis that searches based on objectively reasonable reliance on binding appellate precedent are not subject to the exclusionary rule is inapplicable to plurality non-binding decisions, that, uh, which is what, what happened in Ray. 
Jeff, I know you've been doing some research into the questions that still remain after Ovidia and uh, Coniglia. So why don't we ditch the script and just discuss it? Okay. Yeah, it's pretty much undisputed that officers can enter a home to uh, prevent a, a suicide. Uh, again, assuming that there, there are facts that demonstrate that this is, this is likely, that there's a reasonable likelihood that this will happen. Um, there's a longstanding case in California, People versus Triplet, that uh, was not discussed in Oveda, but it's that if a person poses a threat to himself or others, officers can seize and transport that person for a mental health evaluation without a warrant. But if, if what about an officer, is an officer permitted to enter the premises without a warrant in order to confiscate firearms uh, for these purposes, if, assuming that the person has been removed for a mental health evaluation? Um, so anyway, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, you know, in Oviedo, the court said that uh, if officers believed that a defendant was a danger to himself or others due to a mental disorder, they could temporarily take him into custody for a mental health evaluation. But then they go on to say, which would have allowed them to obtain a warrant for the seizure of that person's firearms. You know, that language suggests that once the person is detained, entry requires a warrant. So I think it's going to be an issue. Uh, there is a Ninth Circuit case, uh, Rodriguez versus uh, City of San Jose, that indicates entry would be permissible if a person who owns firearms is detained and transported for a mental health evaluation. Well, what happened in Rodriguez? So in that case, it's a Ninth Circuit case from 2019. And uh, police are called to the house by a woman by the name of uh, Lori Rodriguez. And I just mentioned the names because it involves the two individuals, both uh, a husband and wife, both of whom who have the same last name. So I refer to the wife as Lori and, and the husband as, as, as Edward. But they get a call for, from Lori, and she wants them to come to her home to do a welfare check on her husband. The officers were familiar with the home because they had... The, they knew that Edward, the husband, had mental health problems before they arrived, and they also knew that there were guns in the home. So Edward is, is ranting about shooting up schools, uh, he, conspiracy theories. He makes reference to a gun safe full of guns, and uh, when, when officers asked him if he wanted to hurt himself, he, he tried to break his own, own thumb. So clearly he's having a mental breakdown. They seize him. Uh, and drive him to a nearby hospital for a 5150 mental health evaluation. Meanwhile, back at the home, officers are speaking with Lori, who confirmed that there were firearms in the home in a gun safe. And the officers confiscated those weapons pursuant to uh, Welfare and Institutions Code Section 8102, which requires law enforcement officers to confiscate any firearm or other deadly weapon that's owned, possessed, or otherwise controlled by an individual who had been detained uh, under uh, California Welfare and Institutions Code Section 5150. Now, without going into a long story about the procedural aspects of this case, which actually turns out to be a civil suit brought by Lori against the city of San, San Jose, suffice to say that the Ninth Circuit had to address the issue of whether the seizure of the firearms from the home, and there are 11 of these firearms in the, in the safe that were either unregistered or registered to Edward, uh, one of them, though, was also registered to, to Lori. They, they had to address the question of whether or not that seizure violated the Fourth Amendment. Now, they relied on Caddy versus Dombrowski and the community caretaking rationale 
to hold that the seizure of a firearm in the possession or control of a person who had been detained because of an acute mental health episode is, is akin to an immediate threat to community safety. And they said accordingly, when asking whether such a seizure of a firearm falls into an exception to the warrant requirement, a court should consider the same factors at issue in the context of emergency exception home entries and vehicle impoundments. You're supposed to look, they said, at the public safety interest, the urgency of the public interest, and, of course, the individual property, liberty, and privacy interests of, of, the, of the person. So applying that framework, they held that the warrantless seizure of the Rodriguez guns was appropriate. Now, significantly, the Ninth Circuit rejected the idea there was no urgency, even though Section 5150 authorized the detention of Edward for a period of up to 72 hours. They said, look, he's being detained by the police, but we don't know if he might not be admitted. He might be released right away after that. And they could come home and grab the search warrants. So they said, hey, there was an exigent circumstance. There was an urgency of seizing those firearms without getting a warrant. And they rejected the claim that uh, there was a claim made by the defense, by, by uh, Lori in that case, that look, telephonic warrants are you know, available in San Jose, and they could have obtained a warrant more quickly than Edward could have been returned if the hospital had admitted him. And so the defense claimed there was insufficient urgency. But the Ninth Circuit said, no, I mean, there, there's a possibility he could have gotten back in time, so we're not going to challenge the police uh, decision in that regard. Now, the Ninth Circuit did limit its holding to the particular circumstances in that case, where A, the officers had probable cause to detain involuntarily, someone experiencing acute mental health episode. Two, they expected the individual would have access to firearms and present a serious public safety threat if he was returned to the home. And three, they did not know how quickly the individual might return. So uh, that decision in, in Rodriguez uh, seems to be a little bit inconsistent with the, the oviated decision and and. What, what do you think? Do you think that the Rodriguez case dictates whether officers can lawfully seize firearms with a, without a warrant if uh, the person is detained for mental health evaluation under the theory that the person could return it at any moment uh, if he was not admitted to the hospital? I doubt it. This doesn't sound like there's, there's, there's much factual reason to believe that this is a true emergency. And again, it's, it's speculation. Yeah, I think probably, too, it's, it would be kind of risky to rely on that Rodriguez decision. Uh, I mean, Rodriguez issued before Coniglia and, and Ovedia, and they relied in this Rodriguez decision in part on the lead opinion in Ray. In fact, th this Rodriguez decision was cited favorably as an example of a case holding that the police can sometimes seize individuals or property other than motor vehicles and enter homes in, in certain circumstances in the course of fulfilling community caretaking responsibilities by the First Circuit decision that was ultimately overruled by the High Court in Coniglia. And then also, while some of the language in Rodriguez would certainly support an entry to seize firearms if a person is detained and transported for mental, for mental health evaluation, the case itself only involved the question of whether seizure of the, pro of, of the firearms was proper in the context of a case where the entry, the entry into the home, was not actually at issue. 
You know, you're raising an issue that uh, we should talk about, and that is the uh, the fact that officers can now obtain search warrants electronically uh, very quickly. The defense could be expected to argue that that unless there's a, an immediate threat to life or property, that the officers should be required to get a search warrant. And I don't know how the courts are going to come down on that because sometimes that, that makes sense. It seems like a valid argument. But again, there's there's no cases right on point, so we'll have to wait for that. Right. I mean, under the exigent circumstances exception, if you want to enter into a home, uh, you have to also show not only that like there's probable cause to believe that someone had committed a crime and that evidence might be destroyed or to enter on or, or to enter under the emergency branch of the exigent circumstances situation you've got to show there's an emergency but both of those uh exceptions rely on the fact that there's not enough time to get a warrant right right so yeah, it's 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 a, it's a tricky decision because yeah, we can get telephonic warrants now, but in, in a lot of case, a lot of situations, it's just not as easy to get a warrant as uh, at least some of these courts uh, believe it is. Let me ask you a couple of questions about uh, community caretaking rationale and how it could be used in searches of vehicles and seizures of persons. This is a pretty important issue. The court in Oviedo stated that an officer's subjectives motivations are irrelevant in deciding whether an entry into a home under the exigent circumstances exception can be made. Does this also hold true that when law enforcement seeks to justify searches of vehicles or seizures of a person under the community caretaking rationale? All right. Yeah, it is an, an, an important issue. Let me first point out that neither Coniglia nor Oviedo disavowed use of the community caretaking rationale to justify vehicle searches or searches or seizures of individuals, in my opinion. Unlike with most warrantless searches, including those based on exigency or on some level of suspicion of criminal activity, uh, inventory searches being the most common type of search based on a community caretaking rationale, there is a subjective component uh, when it comes to something like an inventory search. An inventory search is invalid if it's undertaken for the sole purpose of investigation. The officers cannot use the inventory search as a ruse for general rummaging in order to discover incriminating evidence. Unlike the probable cause determination, which rests solely on an objective standard, the inventory search exception evaluates both the objective reasonableness of the impound decision and the subjective intent of the impounding officer to determine whether the decision to impound was motivated by an improper investigatory purpose. Although there are some questions regarding whether an officer can have dual motives. In other words, could, if an officer, if, there's, if there is uh, objective reasons for impounding a vehicle, but the officer, you know, surreptitiously also is hoping to uh, find some evidence of crime, th- there is some question about whether or not that would uh, invalidate the inventory search. We know that an impound is only permissible under the Fourth Amendment if it serves a community caretaking function. So the issue becomes, in answering the question of whether the impound serves a community caretaking function, are only the objective circumstances considered, or can the officer's subjective intent be considered? Unfortunately, that cannot be uh, definitively answered. That That's a uh, a little bit of an open question. 
Well, all the, the community caretaking rationale in, uh, in CADI is usually associated with uh, vehicle inventory searches. Uh, it would seem that the, that rationale could potentially justify a vehicle search regardless of whether the search was specifically done for the purpose of an inventory after the decision to impound. Um, there is a case, U.S. versus Johnson, from the Fourth Circuit, there where an officer arrived at an accident scene found the driver in a damaged vehicle. Uh, the driver was unconscious or was conscious and unresponsive. Uh, he entered the vehicle and searched the glove compartment in an attempt to locate the driver's identification. The officer did this believing that he might get a response from the driver if he was able to call the driver by name. Um, the officer then did that and he found a handgun inside the glove compartment and the case went up to the Fourth Circuit which declined to find that the officer's search of the car would be justified under the vehicle exception to the inventory search. Rather, the Fourth Circuit pointed to the community caretaking function as a justification for the officer's search. Can the subjective intent of the officer be considered when deciding whether his vehicle search that could only be justified under community caretaking violates the Fourth Amendment? Well, you know, Mark, uh, Johnson indicated the subjective intent of an officer could be considered because it held such a search could not be pretextual. But really, the courts are split over whether the subjective intent of an officer is relevant in deciding whether a vehicle search, not conducted as part of an impound or inventory, in other words, a vehicle search that is not justified by any other uh, type of exception, like the vehicle search exception or the search incident to arrest exception or the uh, impound and inventory exception. In other words, a vehicle search that doesn't fall into any other category, but would fall under community caretaking rationale, whether or not uh, you could look at the subjective intent under the Fourth Amendment, that's uh, still an open question because there's a split in the case law as to whether or not you can consider the officer's subjective intent. Okay, last question. Uh, the community caretaking rationale has been used to justify detentions uh, instead of searches without any reasonable suspicion. For example, if someone's pulled over to the side of the freeway and officers detain the driver to check into whether there's a problem, um, so in deciding whether the warrantless seizure is proper, does the court take into account the uh, officer's subjective motivations? You know, interestingly, there's also a split in the case law in, in that regard. I mean, you do have these situations where uh, the seizure is not justified by any kind of criminal activity. Uh, they're just really contacting the person to make sure that they're okay, although in the, ma in the manner that they contact them, uh, a person wouldn't necessarily feel free to leave, so they treat it as a uh, detention, but it's obviously not a detention that's justified by reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. It's just a detention because the officers want to make sure that the person's okay, and uh, there is a split in the case law. As some cases say that as long as there are objectively reasonable circumstances that would allow the person, the officer, to believe that the person was genuinely in, in distress, then it doesn't really make a difference if the officer also had uh, an intent to investigate the person for criminal activity. Other cases suggest that no, uh, it's got to be basically solely uh, objective circumstances and uh, if an officer was intending to investigate criminal activity, that would invalidate use of the community caretaking rationale. All right. So with that, Mark, it uh, looks like we are running up against our time clock here. So let me thank you uh, very much for coming down and uh, giving us the benefit of, of your many years of experience with search and seizure law. You're welcome.